2: Total Soccer Show! My name is Taylor Rockwell, and my hope is that we get through this show before dawn, and I mean that literally. Uh, We'll see how we do, or if we fall asleep midway through this recording session. If we do, Joe, you're gonna have to drive cross-country to wake me up, or just shout really loud, (laughs) because it is very late over here on the East Coast, but I'm still feeling energized from a nil-nil draw, which is surprising, but when it's a nil-nil draw for the U.S. men's national team on the road at the Azteca against Mexico in World Cup qualifying... It amps you up a little bit. It's a result that sees them stay second place in World Cup qualifying for the time being. Joining me this morning is a man who I'm assuming is only 90% focused on recording right now because 10% of his attention span from now until maybe the day he dies will be on uh, that Gio Reyna dribble in the (laughs) 77th minute. Joe Lowry, how you doing, buddy? It's been way too long.
1: I think Moa do almost lost it on that he sequence. Did. He, he, was, really, uh, really he did. was really close to just <laughs> totally fawning over Geo for, I think, the rest of that game, which I would completely respect yeah, Maurice man. Adu. That would have been totally justified. Taylor, that was an electric sequence. As you mentioned, it's been too long. It's only been what, you know? a whole hour or so since we finished up our Bleach Report live post-game show. A thank you, a real thank you to everyone who came in and watched us in the pre-game and the post-game. We always have a ton of fun doing those shows. Taylor showed me up in a velvet suit. There was just a <laughs> lot happening, and we had a blast. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who came and watched.
2: Uh, n- agreed completely, Joe. But I want to pause to spotlight you, my friend, because I, it it is, it is really difficult to, to run a live show like that, and there's producers and graphics and whatever, but... Joe keeps it organized, Joe keeps it concise, and Joe finds a way through it all in a way that I would still be probably doing the preview show right now, the pregame show, as we are recording the review show. So Joe kept it moving, kept it tight, got the questions in there, a wonderful hosting job, Aww. and now it's back to me to ramble on for a little bit. As we uh, head into this one, we're going to debate some lineups, we're going to break down the tactics, we're going to talk individual performances, and we'll even do some Panama previewing there at the end. Joe, shall we get into it and maybe fight over the death, uh, fight it to the death when it comes to these lineups?
1: Yes. Let's do it, Taylor. I am so ready for this fight. Get it, get it, get it going here. <laughs>
2: all right. Yeah, it's going to be real bad and not at all nerdy and polite. Uh, right. Let's start instead of that by setting the scene for what we wanted to happen in this game versus what did happen. Joe, I'm not asking you to break down the entire game in a like tight minute. I'm asking you to tell us what happened in the table, what we were hoping would happen versus where we are at time of recording.
1: Yes. Okay. So first of all, you mentioned the U.S. is still in second in the Ocho right now, and that's absolutely true. They're buying Canada, who's still in first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, things have changed, Taylor, since you last Oh, no. They're down to eighth now. Things are Ah! are really crazy. Canada won, USA two, Mexico three. After that draw, they stayed virtually the same, that, that two and three spot. Costa Rica jumped up to fourth with a win over Canada at home. Panama is in fifth with a 1 1 draw to Honduras. And the bottom three spots don't matter. All three of those teams are eliminated, unfortunately, for them. So, Taylor, in terms of what needed to happen tonight for the U.S. to qualify for the World Cup, which, spoiler alert, did not happen. The U.S. number one would have had to beat Mexico, which was a tall task at the Azteca. It did not happen, I should be clear. The second thing that would have needed to happen was for Panama to lose to Honduras. That didn't happen, but they did drop some key points there. So, So Honduras certainly did the U.S. a favor in that game. The third thing that would have needed to happen on top of U.S. beating Mexico, Panama losing to Honduras is Costa Rica losing or drawing to Canada? And as I mentioned, that did not happen. Mark anthony Kay picked up a red card in the first half. Canada went down to 10 men. They're still in fine shape to qualify Canada, but they didn't do the U.S. a big favor tonight. So none of the three things the U.S. needed to happen actually happened, which was sort of the concern with Greg Braulter really trying to go for it with his lineup, which is exactly what he did. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. But I think that sort of sets the stage here. It's a reminder That just like it's been all along that Panama game on Sunday where you're going to be Taylor Rockwell covering Mm -hmm. that in person, that game is the most important game of this window. Going forward, and maybe we'll touch on this again quickly at the end, but there's not a lot of complexity to this a win on Sunday virtually guarantees the U.S. an automatic qualification spot. Not officially, technically, because Costa Rica could still win and, and they would only be three points back, but the goal difference between the two teams would be pretty darn large at that point. So a win and you're in, for all you know real purposes there, or a win or draw and you're guaranteed at least a top four. You are guaranteed that spot. So there's a little difference there, but a result against Panama is huge, especially a win. That was the case before tonight, and that is still the case now, Taylor Rockwell.
2: Indeed, my friend. And our concern heading into this one was not just about the U.S. not having already qualified, that would have been a tall order, but about what the United States would do given injury concerns that kept players out of camp, given yellow card concerns, given the fact that we've got Mexico home, Panama, or excuse me, Mexico away, Panama home, Costa Rica on the road. How do you balance it? How do you make sure that you get the sort of optimal results and keep everybody able to contribute. Uh, And I'm not sure we did that, but I think I'm okay with it, Joe. I look forward to this conversation. We'll start with the lineups, though. Uh, Mexico, theoretically, in a 4-3-3. That continues to be how it's listed. Joe, it looked a lot more like a 4-2-3-1 for me. And even then, it was pretty fluid. But I saw uh, Charlie Rodriguez ahead of Etienne Alvarez and uh, Hector Herrera to start the game. And it seemed like Charlie Rodriguez would move forward aggressively as Raul Jimenez, who was starting as the number nine and wearing number nine, would drop in centrally, would drop in wide on both sides of the pitch. He was all over the place. And I think there was a lot of fluidity from Mexico, certainly to start this game. It was very back and forth. But I think even in the final minutes, we still saw a lot of a lot of uh, good movement, a lot of hard running. And it was as difficult of a Mexico team as we expected.
1: They were in that 4-2-3-1. You're spot on about that, Taylor. A lot of pistoning action between Charlie Rodriguez and and Raul Jimenez as they move back and forth. Right, Rodriguez would occasionally make a run in behind. Jimenez did a lot of dropping into the right half space, some on the left as well. He's he's a really, really good player. Didn't get on the score sheet tonight, but he is a, a threat in buildup as well as in and around the box. And then in, in the wider areas, and, and I almost want to put air quotes around wider areas, because I, I, I'm thinking especially here of Chucky Lozano, who was listed as the left winger, and that's the job he was doing defensively. And he did some wide attacking from that left wing, but man, he was pinching in central. If you look at the the pass map for Mexico in this game, he's narrow on that left side, and, and he did a ton of that throughout this match, really coming inside, troubling the U.S. everywhere he went. Chucky Lozano was electric tonight. I thought he was really, really dangerous for Mexico. So yeah, Taylor, you're you're absolutely right. Four two three one for Mexico. A good team that I genuinely enjoy watching under Tata Martino. It's it is a shame for me, although not surprising, that he gets booed in the pregame. He's just a, he's a good coach, and this Mexican team is not playing to their full potential. But they they show a lot of fun stuff. So that's the Mexico side. I'm gonna walk us through the U.S. lineup here, Taylor. Zach Steffen in goal, Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman as the two center backs, DeAndre Yedlin at right back, Jedi Robinson at left back, Tyler Adams played as the number six with uh, Kelna Costa and Yunus Musa as the two eights ahead of him. Tim Weah was on the right wing, Christian Pulisic was on the left wing, and Ricardo Pepe was the up top as that number nine. This was basically Taylor without Sergio Dest and without Weston McKenney. And, and Gio Reyna is still coming back from an injury he got on the field towards the end of this game. This was basically the best lineup that the U.S. could have put forward. Is that a fair assessment of this this starting eleven?
2: Yes, I think so. I think my only quibble would just be. We still don't know who the best number nine is, but true, I think true. I expected it to be Ricardo Pepe in this one, and it was, and I was good with that. But yeah, aside from that, I mean, Pulisic and Weah, that's always exciting on the wings. I think that midfield is as strong as it could be, and that defense is the same defense that beat Mexico last time, so why not stick with it?
1: So the challenge that I have with this lineup, and it's water under the bridge at this point, right? It, I'm almost talking into the void because we'll it see. already happened. But we'll see. But the challenge with this lineup is, is the U.S. really did go for it in the game of this window that that mattered probably the least, right? Not from an emotional standpoint. Every USA-Mexico game is huge. This is the classic game in CONCACAF. It's the biggest rivalry in this region, hands down. But the U.S. go out there and they, they run a lot of players into the ground. That was very clear at the end of this game. And I know there's altitude at play. And basically the moment you get out of that, you're going to feel a little bit better But, man, you go out and you run Christian Pulisic for 85 minutes. You run Tyler Adams for 80 minutes on a yellow card, I might add. You go out and run uh, Tim Weah on a yellow card, and he goes out and and misses the next game because he picks up a yellow card in the first half for a high challenge. DeAndre Yedlin's on a yellow. You don't have many other options besides Yedlin with Reggie Cannon out with a positive COVID test. But DeAndre Edlin goes out and gets a yellow card in the first half too and he's going to miss that next game and Shaq Moore's flying over right now most likely going to start that game even though he's not in this initial roster. My issue with the the approach that Porter took and he said he considered a number of different angles here. My issue is feels like you're really hamstringing yourself for that that game on Sunday. You're making your life a little harder than you need it to be. Either way, the US was going to need a result against Panama. they were probably going to need to win that game. And that's still true, just like it was 12 hours ago, Taylor, before this game kicked off and you used a bunch of your starter's legs. It might not be the end of the world. The U.S. should still win at Panama, in Orlando, against Panama on Sunday. But I think you're making your life a little harder than it needs to be with some of these choices.
2: So, Joe, what is the starting 11 you thought he could have gone with?
1: And it's hard because there's not a ton of depth in the squad right now without a number of the players that we've already mentioned as being out for this game. No Weston McKinney, no Serginio Dest, again, to be clear. But the lineup that I would have liked to see, Stefan and goal is fine. He's on a yellow, but you're not really worried about that from your goalkeeper. Zimmerman and Miles Robinson are fine with still being that center back pairing. There's not quite as much running that they have to do compared to some others. Maybe it's George Bello at left back. He's played against Mexico recently. He did it over the summer in a in a tournament final. Yedlin kind of has to start at right back. As I mentioned, there's no other option, so I sympathize with Berhalter on that. I think you play Acosta at the 6. You don't risk Tyler Adams. You don't risk losing him for the most important game of this window and a must-win against Panama. I think you slide Luca de la Torre into that midfield 3. Maybe you keep Yunus Musa there. Maybe you play Busio instead. Not a ton of options in those 8 spots. But maybe you play Areola on the wing instead of Christian Pulisic, and maybe you still keep Wea in there. And in that way, if Wea gets a yellow card like he did tonight, Then you still have an almost fully fresh Pulisic against Panama instead of a Pulisic that's played 85 minutes. So, again, I think to a lot of folks it's going to feel like I'm splitting hairs, and I kind of am. But it's small margins, man. If we learned anything from the last World Cup qualifying cycle, it's that 98% is not 100%. You know, 98% and 100%, there's a margin between those things. And I think the U.S. may have made that margin a little slimmer than it needed to be tonight.
2: Yeah. I think it's been a while since we said this phrase. I think this is a very good example of things being able to be two things because I I like this lineup a lot. I wanted the U.S. to go at Mexico. I personally felt like if they lose this game, even if that leaves them in a stronger position from a physical fitness standpoint to have the strongest possible 11 against Panama, there's something about now being three points behind Mexico and know that we are likely playing for that final spot, that final automatic spot at best it, it it would have just felt like too big of a gap, and for it to be Mexico that put us in that position, I also wouldn't have loved. I don't know if that emotional aspect of things is necessarily what should have been the guiding principle in deciding the lineup, but I enjoyed how strong it was. I enjoyed that it was clearly a lineup meant to give Mexico problems. I think there was a lot of preparation put into the substitutions and the timing of those substitutions and what the United States was doing in between those changes, But simultaneously, Joe, I think there is merit to what you're saying, that if they get this draw, awesome. But then if they go up against Panama, and as we've seen in past iterations of World Cup qualifying, if you play a lot of the same players immediately after a high-intensity game, it can be a problem. And if they're now not able to break down Panama, and they throw numbers, and it's a disjointed attack, and they're just, like, lumping the ball in the box, and it finishes nil-nil or 1-1 that draw against Mexico suddenly gets called into question. And so, yes, maybe you're splitting hairs, maybe you're nitpicking, but at the same time, that's where we are in World Cup qualification. And if we haven't secured a spot yet, then there's still a lot to play for, and there are still questions to be asked and answered. And so I think, Joe, it's a a good thing to keep in mind, and I think it makes the Panama game extra fascinating, because now we'll see. Does he go with... A lot of the same players. Does he change it up completely? Is it is it a different style or a different approach? And what do we do with Shaq Moore coming in? Let's say that does beg the question. Uh, one that I had for you, Joe, is like: is some of this issue that we're talking about, like you mentioned, Yedlin, Cannon has the COVID test, Serginho Dest is injured, so it has to be Yedlin. Hmm. But it could have been Joe Scali, right? Like, yeah, uh, it, there there were other players, and there weren't roster. Limits, uh, uh, that I understand, you could have called in 30 players into camp. And I, and I do sort of wonder if maybe there is other stuff that we don't know about. Obviously, there's some players out injured. You talked about them. But with somebody like Joe Scally who could play in either fullback spot, it, it, it becomes a bigger and bigger question for yes. me. And that's not usually how it goes. And so I, I think that is the, the one kind of issue that I remain befuddled by.
1: There's hangups here for me, and it sounds like for you too, Taylor. Yep. Joe Scally could have helped this team, and certainly provided depth at both fullback spots. And and to go back very quickly to John Brooks, I, I don't think I would have started him in this game. But then, if you have John Brooks involved in, in whatever's happening behind the scenes, we we think is resolved. If he's involved in this group, you don't start him against Mexico, but maybe you start him against Panama and you help yeah. him. You, he helps yeah. you break down a block and you can go out and say, Hey, Walker Zimmerman, be aggressive. You know, run as hard. I mean, do all the things you're so good at and don't worry about Sunday. We have John Brooks to do that job and you can take a breather and come back for the away game against Costa Rica. So there's all those little things here. To be honest, Taylor, I'm, I'm kind of tired of banging this drum because I've been <laughs> banging it for a week or so. And th- the other piece of this that I want to be excited about, and I will be for the rest of the show, is for all of my concerns about how Berhalter is approaching this window and how he chose to approach it, he clearly fell in the, we're just going to go for it and see what happens side of things. For all of my concerns about that, and they're real and we're not going to find out how, how really impactful they are until Sunday or maybe until Wednesday. Setting those things aside, man, it was cool to see the U.S. go toe-to-toe with Mexico, right? Yeah, That's four games in a row that the U.S. is unbeaten in this rivalry. Three wins and one draw. Uh, That's one of the longest unbeaten streaks, maybe the longest unbeaten streak the U.S. has ever had against Mexico. That's big, right? I want to just be able to enjoy this performance, and I can't fully do that. But there was so much to like on the field, some things not to like, and we'll talk about both of those things. But man, it was cool to see the U.S., especially in that first half, but even for stretches of the second half, be dangerous, be aggressive defensively, press and not worry about getting burned, to trust themselves, to be aggressive on and off the ball, to create chances. And they had two, the two best chances in this game. Man, it was just cool to see that. And I enjoyed watching this game. Yes, it was nerve wracking. Yes, it was anxiety inducing, but that's just USA Mexico. And this was a fun edition of USA Mexico.
2: It was, man. And it's strange. It's strange. To come away feeling slightly disappointed about a one-to-one draw, or a nil-nil draw. We keep saying one-to-one. I think you did that in the (laughs) last (laughs) show. I'm doing it now. It (laughs) felt like one-to-one. It felt like it should have at least been a couple goals in this one. That's right. But it's strange to come away with a draw at the Azteca, a thing that we previously, when it first happened, it was this joyous, can you believe it happened, finally happened moment, and now it's a little bit like, yeah, it's great. Could have gotten three points, though. We'll see what happens next time, if there is a next time. Um, And maybe that's part of it, too. But I I think, Joe, I don't want to make you bang that drum anymore. I want you to put the drum down so you can focus, as we've said, 90% (laughs) of your attention on on this game. Uh, We've talked about the lineups, initial thoughts, all that good stuff. We're going to take a break. We're going to get back to talking about the game itself, individual performances, and what comes next. Back soon. We are back. We never left, but we're still back. Joe Lowry, let's get into the game, shall we? Take us through maybe that first half. Uh, Try to do it in fewer than 45 minutes if you can. But what were sort of the, the major tactical points you saw from the U.S. perspective?
1: In terms of game flow, and I'll I'll relate tactics to this as I go along, I thought the U.S. came out strong in this game. They're in this 4-3-3 shape, and and Jedi Robinson's pushing forward from left back. I thought he had a really good game, especially with, with the ball. He had some good defensive moments in transition, too. But in the first minute, he's overlapping, he's getting across into the box. The U.S. didn't cross the ball a ton in this game, but I do think that that moment with, with A-Rob overlapping is indicative of what the U.S. were trying to do. They were trying to be vertical. There were some moments of buildup from the U.S. and some good moments and some not-so-good moments. Zach Steffen leaving Zimmerman out to dry a little bit. I think that's in the latter stages of the first half, and, and Tecatito gets a touch, and it's heavy, fortunately for the U.S., inside their own box. But the U.S. are trying to be aggressive and define space, in Mexico's box and in behind their back line. And we could see that from the start of this game. After the first few minutes, Mexico sort of gained back some control after the U.S.'s hot start. They got Lozano and Raul Jimenez and Tecatito and Charlie Rodriguez. We talked about these players already. They were driving forward, and Robinson gets a yellow card as Jimenez isolates against him, and Robinson just fouls and can't deal with him in that moment. But it's kind of back and forth. I thought the U.S. had the better moments in the first half, but Mexico certainly created danger. Mexico's... Attacking Trident underneath Jimenez. So the three in that 4-2-3-1 were excellent, I thought, Taylor. Maybe you noticed this too, at picking up spaces outside the U.S.'s midfield group, but in front of the U.S.'s back line. They were really good getting in between the lines, turning and then driving forward. Tecatito did it early on, I think the eighth minute. Uh, Chucky Lozano did it a bunch of times in this game. Charlie Rodriguez had a few sequences, one in the 50th minute. They were really good at those specific things in breaking out of the U.S.'s high press, which was probably the tactical feature for the U.S. There was some on-ball patterns, but they were trying to be high up the field in that 4-3-3, high block slash high press, high line of confrontation, you know, high back line, all that good stuff. They were trying to do that, and they had a lot of success with it for some turnovers, took advantage of some turnovers from Mexico. Also, had some mistakes, and I think that is a fair representation of how this game went with both teams being aggressive and exploiting some of the other's weaknesses
2: yeah, how much of that that sort of sloppiness at times from both sides Joe do you like do you assign to the moment and the occasion versus like just actually the way the two teams were playing because I genuinely can't tell. it seemed like at times there was there were nerves and there were heavy touches, and it was just the moment got to the player. There are other times when it felt like uh, space was at a premium, time was at a premium, and so there were also just some miscontrols, some loose balls, some back and forth situations that didn't feel quite according to script, basically.
1: I think it's some of both, Taylor. I really do, because you think about the occasion, and it's huge, and you could see some of the some of the issues for both teams in that respect maybe heavier touches than than might normally be there. I think that is part of this and it's fair to assume that that's part of this even though we should note the the crowd at the Estadio Azteca wasn't full. It was still really loud, but the the stands were certainly not really all that close to full um due to the due to the cap for the capacity at, at Azteca. But you also look at the personnel the US specifically has in this game. Tyler Adams graded a lot of things did a lot of things really well in this game. Not a Sergio Busquets in midfield. Not going to dice you up with the ball. Not going to be all that clean. And, and he had his, his share of mistakes in this game on the ball. Kellen Acosta as well. My issue generally with playing him as an 8, although I don't think it's always the worst thing for a game like this that's going to be up-tempo and high-octane, is that he's not ever really going to receive the ball in the half-turn. And he didn't do that tonight. There's a sequence in the second half. The ball's coming into him, and it takes him like two or three touches to turn when it really only should have taken him one. He had time to orient his body. He had time to get his feet sorted. He just moves a, a half second or two slower than you want from someone in that eight spot. So you've got Adams and Acosta slowing things down at times in midfield. And then you have Robinson and Zimmerman who are, are capable in, in space on the ball, but they're not really line breakers in the back. There's a moment in the first half, Christian Pulisic, I think it's around the 25th minute, Christian Pulisic drifts in from the left wing and build up and, Rob, and Zimmerman's on the ball from his right center back spot and Pulisic is wide open between the lines. You'd have, you'd have to squeeze it through, but he's open in the center circle or just beneath it and Zimmerman doesn't even look towards him because he's not confident in his ability to play that pass. So the direct nature of this game with some of the sloppy moments, I think were part game plan, part occasion, and part just personnel.
2: That makes sense to me. And I, and I think with that in mind, it made me happy that we didn't see the United States just sort of abandon any semblance of possession and just look for those long balls over the top. And there were moments where it felt like they might. Uh, a lot of sort of iso ball towards uh, Tim Way on the far side against Artiaga, and he was having a lot of joy. But as the kind of first half went on, as we got to like the 30th minute or so, it started to feel like that was sort of their... Primary and secondary, and maybe tertiary approach to attacking was get the ball to Wea out wide and see what happens. Mexico started to cut that pass off, cut those, the like the time midfielders had to play that ball. They limited that. But then also there started being a front and follow approach to Tim Wea. They started knocking him around, they started fouling him when he'd picked the ball up. And it felt like that limited what the U.S. were able to do. And I got nervous that we would just see them overly rely on that, but then they still found their passing sequences. They still had moments of of incisive dribbling, of good passing. Even Tyler Adams, for not being as strong playing forward, has the great moment when he uh, reads what Mexico are doing, steps and intercepts a pass, carries the ball forward under pressure, plays that good ball in for way behind the line, yeah, way great it's ball. Fouled and we have a free kick. That is an excellent moment from Tyler Adams. Uh, I'm going long here because I would like to say I like almost think we should put Tyler Adams on some sort of a shot clock, basically, because I think with Leipzig, he is so used to having to play so quickly through the middle that he doesn't have time almost to think. He's playing on instinct. He's playing on discipline and the coaching that he has received to kind of execute the game plan as he has been asked to do. When he has time to dribble and pick his head up and find space, sometimes he does that. Other times... The ball gets poked from behind or he just gets dispossessed. And those moments are what confound me with Tyler Adams, that he can be so good dribbling under pressure, like at speed and still find a pass. But then when he's got a couple extra seconds, he passes it right to the opposition or coughs the ball up. It's a frustrating aspect of his game, but I still think uh, to go individual for a moment, I loved a lot of what I saw from Tyler Adams on and specifically off the ball. On the rewatch I noticed, I think because the emotions were down, I was paying more attention to other little things. He is constantly talking to everyone and being talked to by everyone, including Greg Berhalter. There's a minute when a ball goes back to Zimmerman. Zimmerman doesn't really have anyone to play to. Gets forced out of bounds for a U.S. throw, I think. And Berhalter, they cut to him on the sideline. You can hear him yelling at Tyler. And he basically says, nobody's moving. We've got to get somebody open. And then it cuts wide, and you can see Tyler Adams starts talking to every single person there. Uh, that that bad pass from Stefan to Zimmerman, I think yeah. Zimmerman could have done a better job. Stefan, when he ends up making the save, pops up and immediately goes to have a word with Zimmerman. Adams steps in and, in my mind, pretty clearly says, like, hey, man, you could have played the ball the other way, too. That's on you a little bit. And just a lot of that communication uh, that I think kept everybody calm, kept everybody on the same page, and I think was a major factor in keeping the US able to basically basically stifle what Mexico wanted to do. And I'm I'm glad for Tyler Adams' sake and for the US's sake that he didn't pick up a yellow
1: card. Now he gets yeah. subbed off at the towards the end of the second half, gets a little bit of a, a respite there, but he should be able to go against Panama, which I think is big. The the big thing we talked about in Count in Acosta's favor for starting potentially that game against Panama is his set piece delivery. And Taylor Acosta had a bunch of set pieces in this game None of them really amounted to anything. Nope. There were some, some good deliveries in there, to be totally fair, and Mexico just did well to get rid of them, but some poor ones, too. So I I think it's especially good for the U.S., after we don't really see Acosta differentiate himself with the, the dead balls in this game, to have Adams ready to go and, and try to marshal that game, and hey, maybe Baralto will give him that internal shot clock. We don't know. There, there's good moments yeah. in, this, in this first half in the U.S., and good moments in this entire game. Two, Taylor, that we haven't talked about yet, or maybe we'll stick in the first half with, with the first big chance that the U.S. has in this game because there were some nice moments of combination play. I talked about how the personnel wasn't fully suited to to possession. I don't think that's any surprise given Baralder's game plan. Kind of makes sense to muck things up a bit at the Azteca, and that's exactly what happened. But, man, the thirty five the 35th minute rolls around, and the U.S. is it's definitely in this game. They're controlling some of the ball. They're controlling it in good spots. They're pressuring Mexico and, and bending but not breaking defensively. And then it's a Yedlin throw in on the right side and Yedlin throws it into Acosta who one touches it back to Yedlin. Yedlin then hits a ball into a dropping Pepe. Pepe's pulling a Mexican center back with him and as he does that and as he's dropping and he receives it first time hits this first time ball into Tim Weya in behind. Waya again good with those runs in beyond the back line. Oya gets on the ball, sees Christian Pulisic running in behind Jorge Sanchez, Mexico's right back, and just plays this perfect ball on the floor to Christian Pulisic. Pulisic connects with it with his left foot, shoots. It's a beautiful sequence right up until the ball leaves Christian Pulisic's foot. It goes right to David Ochoa. who does, David Ochoa. Memo Ochoa. who doesn't have to do much of anything to, to save it and push it wide. It is a phenomenal sequence of play. Maybe... Taylor, maybe the best we've seen from the U.S. in World Cup qualifying, if not one of the top three or the top five possession moments that leads to a chance. It's it's gorgeous, and it truly was a moment of everything but the finish for the U.S.
2: And that is the huge bummer, especially for a Christian Pulisic that hasn't been in the best of form. Seemed like he was like had rediscovered it for Chelsea, but when last we saw him for the U.S., there were lots of questions about should he be an automatic starter still? And I don't think we have as many of those now. Uh, because he is playing so well for Chelsea, but this would have been such a great goal for him to get, to just sort of change the momentum for both club and country. That would have been lovely. And I understand he has to react to it quickly, and he has to basically, I wondered if he could have taken a touch and then finished, and I still think maybe he could have. But ultimately, this one and the other miss that I'm sure we will talk about are both, you You gotta find a way to put that not just on frame, but at an angle into one of those corners, because Either side of Memo Ochoa, and it goes yeah, in. Yep, right at Memo Ochoa, it does not, and that and that miss, it, it just it was bad. He he could have done better, I, Joe. I know you don't like. He should have done. better. I heard He's you, got you catch it, Taylor. I love you so much. <laughs> Look at you. But I think it was just it really was disappointing to go back and watch because I wanted there to be. Not necessarily a reason why he couldn't take it cleanly, but I was really hoping that on the rewatch we would see, like, oh, no, it's a really, really smart run, and he's able to create that space. And, like, he's alert to the play as it develops, but it's mostly just a run to the, like, medium back post, and it's a great ball from Weah to find him there. The buildup, everything you mentioned, Joe, is is totally true. It's a sad moment for Pulisic. I wish he could have gotten that one. I also sort of wish that Edson Alvarez were being charged with attempted homicide for the horse collar tackle. I have to apologize to Ryan Bailey for that one because he continues to hold that against Giorgio Chiellini for the horse collar on Saka. And man, when it happens to one of your players, I was real, real mad. So I think Pulisic (laughs) got a lot of what he's used to, which was physical play, getting fouls, but having the time to take people on and try things. Maybe just he wasn't quite as ready to score the goal that we would have liked to see. Uh Joe, we we're kind of switching between overall tactics and individual performances. Let's go back to overall tactics because I think in the live show, there seem or the post-game show, there seemed to be some of the reactions seemed to be the substitutions didn't make sense, Burhalter got this wrong, the US should have won. And I can see aspects of those arguments, but overall, I have a hard time coming away from this with anything other than a mostly positive feeling, uh, and I think it would be very positive, as I said in the show, if it had been, if this were the first game of qualifying or the fourth game of qualifying. I think it's just the current situation around the U.S. and where they are on the table sure. is the only thing that keeps us from feeling really positive. But I do think, in, in on the rewatch, there was more of a like unified game plan. I think it happened in three phases and I think it almost worked to perfection. If Pulisic scores or more specifically, if uh, Jordan Peefuck uh, when he comes on, if he had managed to convert that one, I think this game goes almost exactly to script for Greg Berhalter. Go on, you tease. What, so right. what, are, the, what are the three phases of
1: this game plan that you're talking about
2: here? So, I think we we expected the United States, we wanted the United States to be very aggressive to start this game. And I think we got that. I think Mexico yep. were too. Yep. And I think we saw the United States being very in Mexico's face, not backing down from challenges, getting yellow cards early, and making it a, an open game, but also making Mexico have to think. They couldn't quite commit everybody to the attack. They couldn't leave space to be countered by Tim Way or Christian Pulisic. And I think... It limited some of the effectiveness of what Mexico wanted to do, but when you're running that much, there's going to come a time when you're going to get fatigued, when you're going to slow down, you're going to start making mistakes, especially at altitude. And I think the final 10 minutes or so of the first half did seem like there was a downward trend in energy from the U.S., in the ability to execute, even just some errant passes that were not errant earlier in the game, in those final 5 to 10 minutes they were, I think that's all fatigue. and so. Coming out of halftime, I think maybe it was, I think all of this, in my theory at least, because we haven't seen anything from Halter, we haven't seen any of the press conference, this is all my speculation, I think the game plan was we're going to make attacking changes early in the second half, provided it's still close. Either, maybe if they were up it would have been different, maybe if Mexico were 4-0 up these changes happened sooner, but I think the changes at the 60th minute when Reyna and Pifak come on, Wea and Pepe go off. What I noticed there was when that happens, the United States make little adjustments to where they are setting up. And uh, exemplified by when when Mexico would have goal kicks earlier in the game, numbers are just a little bit higher for the U.S., and they're more inclined to step in those moments after the goal kick has been taken. They're not right on top of the box, but they will engage. As the game goes on, and especially once those substitutions are made, there's no U.S. player within 35 yards at a minimum, of the goal when goal kicks are being taken. Everybody is sitting in, but it's very tight lines as a result. I don't know if that constitutes a mid-block, Joe. You're better with that type of terminology. But it really frustrated Mexico, and they had to go long way more often than I remembered because they tried to build and force passes, and at best it was sort of these driven passes and defeat because there wasn't a ton of time, but often it was improvised passing, which isn't always the worst, but it's not what they were trying to do. They were clearly trying to build through a system, and I think it, it got disrupted because the U.S. had numbers in advantageous positions. And then in those final minutes, I think, after the p miss, when I think the game plan was basically snatch that winner in the 60th to 70th minute, and then we will endure this game and see it out. And I think once everybody gets gassed, once it's clear that the attackers can't go when sick is feeling it, Adams is clearly done, I think Burhalter decides, you know what? We're packing it in. We're good with nil-nil. And that is when the U.S. really go defensive. We see them in a back three slash back five. That's when they go long. That's when they're okay with maybe we get something on the break. Maybe Jordan Morris is able to run in behind. But for the most part, we are going defensive. And so I saw it as being U.S. being aggressive and pressing uh, in, like, Alternate moments in the first half, I saw the United States being a little bit more conservative and when they chose to engage on the defensive side in the second. And then by the end of the game, I saw them being pretty much ultra defensive in trying to preserve the draw. Joe, that is my narrative for how this game played out from a U.S. perspective what do you think? What do you make of it? Uh, please don't tear it apart too much.
1: No, I, I don't think there's really much of anything to tear apart there. I, I think, of course, the U.S. would have been thrilled with a, a go-ahead goal earlier in this game, right? If the Christian Pulisic goal <laughs> yeah, the shot had gone in, fun. you know, th- they would have been more than happy with that sort of thing. But when that doesn't happen, and that's not a, a huge shock, right, you move into the second half, you're still looking for that goal. The U.S. is being aggressive. Taylor, I totally agree with you. They're still pressing. I think those subs around the 60th minute are scripted, at least to an extent. I don't know that Barothra would have planned to take Weia off yeah, after he realized the, the yellow card was, was in the cards. Horrible choice of words there for <laughs> me. But I think he would have preferred to see Weia stay on, but Waya. I guess, didn't have the legs to go. I didn't notice a ton of wavering from him on rewatch, but I assume there was something they were seeing that led to that sub. Uh, You mentioned Wiseman on the postgame show. You also just don't want to defend with 10 men for the rest of the game. That's not ideal. So there's some protection there as well, but you get a couple of different attackers on. You make another push for 10 or 15 minutes, and right around then, Taylor, whether this was scripted or not, I think part of it was certainly, but it was also helped by the fact that, the U.S. just looked done at that point, yeah. like like the legs—not of everyone, but yeah. DeAndre Yedlin. Right around the 70th, the 75th minute, before he comes off, he uh, he's like really slow to react defensively, slow to get up in one moment, and then another moment, Chucky Lozano pulls him out as he did so often in this game. He receives the ball, Lozano on that left side, Yedlin kind of just jogging forward to step with him, and I sympathize with him, man. He's—I'm sure he's dead tired, right? He's he's stepping forward with Lozano and he just never really catches him and Lozano turns and Mexico attack and Yedlin is just not up for it at that yeah. point. Christian Pulisic, you mentioned this to me as well and it's totally true. Bent over after he tries to play, I think it's Acosta down that left side. The pass doesn't come off. There a little uh, there's a little miscommunication there and he just bends over. Partly I imagine out of frustration and partly I'm sure out of exhaustion. That's in around the 75th minute. And then there's the, the worst moment for me, Taylor, is the Gio Reyna run. As beautiful as it is, as yeah. viral as it's already going on Twitter, no U.S. player makes any meaningful attempt to drive forward and make an attacking run to support Gio Reyna. PFOC's already up there. He's just kind of hanging out. He doesn't really have a, a ton yeah. of, of players Dude. around him. Well, it's hard. I, I, I don't know how much blame here goes with PFOC because – Nines are used to having space to attack that is created by the fact that the opposing defense has to step to the other attacking options that pair with the nine. There was no one. Christian Pulisic was kind of jogging in behind, but he wasn't affecting the play at all. So it was PFOC. On an island high up the field, disconnected from Reina because he didn't have anyone making his life easier. And then it was Reina driving forward, beating player after player because there was no one around him. So you could see between Yedlin, between Pulisic, between that team-wide exhaustion on the the Reina moment, the U.S., I think if they hadn't dropped into a low block, they were going to lose this game. And I think it was a smart move to do that. It, It didn't make the last 20 minutes of this game any fun. But I, I think whether that was the game plan going in, I'd lean towards your side, Taylor, of thinking, yeah, it was probably always on the table, but it was also necessitated by how the yeah. players were doing on the field.
2: Yeah, I, I think that that that's definitely fair. And like to go to the way of substitution as an example, he he gets the yellow card early for because uh, I had forgotten this one when it happened live, but it's basically it's a throw in. He he kind of like goes for like the jump, settle with the inside of his foot. He tries to intercept it. Rao Jiménez is checking back. Wea makes contact with him, so he's reckless, he's out of control, there's your yellow card. But like that is kind of what I expect from Tim Wea, an attacking like a player, a winger. When they're playing defense, defense is not his primary responsibility, it is not the thing that he is most adept at, and so if you're asking a person who is primarily an attacker to come back and do last-ditch defending, you're going to get last-ditch defense, and that is not always going to keep uh, te- uh, 10 outfield players on the pitch. But when you talk last ditch defending from Eric Palmer Brown or Aaron Long, I do think they're more capable of making certain defensive plays because that is their bread and butter. That's where they make their money. So I think those changes, again, there is that fear of we're going to lose a player. We could get a second yellow. Maybe somebody gets an injury. But I also think there was a we're going to manage some minutes, but we're going to make sure that we have defensive players in the spots we need them to be to make sure that we preserve this draw. Joe, we still got to talk about some other individual players, maybe some overall thoughts, and then a look at Panama. Let's take one more break and then let's bring this one to a close.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game,
2: and more. Head over to michelobultra.com. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MACWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. We are back. Joe, we're still talking USA's nil-nil draw on the road at the Azteca against Mexico Let's talk individual performances again, and let's go back to Gio Reyna. That's where I want to take us, because I I will say very quickly, I I was a little bit more annoyed by the runs, or lack thereof, from uh, Peefock in that one. I felt like he could have made a run to Reyna's right side when he's initially dribbling, then he could have made maybe a more aggressive run. At the very least, I think he could have tried to clear out more of the space, and I don't think his runs were as good as they could have been. And certainly his finishing also wasn't great. But that ball from Reyna was. That he's able to hold his line uh, as Acosta plays it in over the top. Then he stays on side. He plays it back across uh, for Pifok. He could have probably taken it if he wanted to. But I think that's probably going to be saved at the near post. Because Memo Ochoa knows what he's doing. So it's a great decision from Gio Reyna. Uh, Pifok, for his part, cannot get his feet right. He ends up hitting it with his like left heel. I watched this a number of times. Not that part of it, Joe. This ball I just wanted to know for sure. This ball is so close to being a throw-in. That is how <laughs> bad of a shot it is. It just barely goes out of bounds before getting to the corner flag. Peavock absolutely takes this one the wrong way. I don't know if it's because he he just got his footing wrong, if he's not able to take it the way he wanted to, if he was trying to open up his hips to put it in the far corner. Whatever it might be, it was not great. But the person who I can... Rest comfortably knowing was more annoyed about that miss than maybe anyone else on the planet. Was Giorena? Yep. and I, Joe, Joe, did you notice how many times he waited for Peepuck to look he, at him? He looked like Gordon Ramsay. He was looks so every
1: time that someone he gives so him a plate of food. Mad. That's the best example I can I can use. The best illustration
2: I can I can. Uh, it's totally true. He's. St- I mean, everybody will remember probably the like hands out like no, you missed it. And I still don't quite know what he was saying there because it looks like he's calling for a return pass, which he absolutely <laughs> cannot be. Right. But I think he's just sort of. Stupefied, horrified that that doesn't go on frame. But then, for people who missed it or don't know what we're talking about, p stays down. Reina stands right there and sort of keeps making that same gesture every time p moves. So when he gets up, he does it again, and then P-fuck's not looking at him, so he walks away. Then he sees p turning, so he does it again, and then I think eventually p sees him and he does it a third time. And I just really enjoyed that Geo Reina wanted him to know. I am both mad and disappointed. It's not even an I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed situation. It's both. And I kind of like that Giorena has such high standards for his teammates, or medium standards, as maybe that finish should have been. Again, difficult in the moment and very hard for me to say I would have done any better. More likely, I would have actually put it out for a throw-in. But I thought Giorena. Was a difference maker, did make uh, Moe do very happy, made yes. me very happy. Joe, I'm going to assume it made you very happy to see him back playing for the U.S.
1: Difference maker is the perfect term, Taylor. I, I don't think we can overstate how important Gio Reyna is for this team. We haven't seen him play for the U.S. since September 2nd against El Salvador in the first game of World Cup qualifying. To have him back for this window is so huge he was really good off the bench in this game takes a free kick a good one in the 64th minute nothing comes of it but it's a good service it's a good bit of service from him has that uh one touch ball to pfok that you just walked us through in the 72nd minute has the slalom dribble dribble in the 77th minute physical wins the ball back in the us's half in the 78th minute he was impactful off the bench and it didn't directly translate to a goal but the skill he shows on the run and on that that one touch ball to pfok is, is why Gio Reyna is so important to this team. And I, I desperately hope for the U.S.'s sake that he starts on Sunday against Panama in Orlando. I think he will. If he's healthy enough to do it, I think he will. And I would be surprised if he wasn't healthy enough. After going 90 against Dortmund, Beralter clearly saved some of his legs in this game by only playing in the last half hour. He's a huge part of this team. He makes the U.S. so much better in almost every situation. He's a real asset, and I think the, the U.S. is getting him back at just the right time.
2: Agree on Reyna. Joe, we've talked about Pulisic off and on at various points. I am struggling to say I have much of an opinion on his performance. Obviously, if he had scored that goal, things changed, and I have a very happy thought right. about his performance. Do you have any strong feelings about Pulisic's game one way or the other? I think he was good, at
1: or, or, or least okay. in the range of okay to good. He... He was double teamed a decent bit on that on that uh, left side for the US, the right side for Mexico. Tata Martino, after the game, said Jorge Sanchez, Mexico's right back again, was was his man of the match, and that he handily won his matchup against Christian Pulisic. And, and Jorge Sanchez, I thought, acquitted himself well in this game, but he he definitely had help, and Christian Pulisic was dangerous at times. But he was also muscled off the ball a little bit. He drew some fouls, but he, he had a couple turnovers. It was this mixed bag to, to an extent with Polisic. But I really do value that alert off-ball movement on his chance, even though the finish isn't there. I think you want to reward players, and you want to, at least I compliment, players who get in positions to take shots and have the skill to get the ball off their foot even if the ball doesn't go to the right spot. So that's exactly what happened for Polisic in this game. He also had that run in behind uh, where Acosta slips him in the box, and he has that truss. The, the, oh, yeah. the, it looks like yeah. a shot, and Ochoa saves it on the replay in a different angle. We're not really sure what, what the intent was there, but he was dangerous and even goal dangerous in moments, and I think he deserves
2: credit for that. What about Ricardo Pepe, Joe?
1: Quiet from Ricardo Pepe, which yeah. is the story of whatever nine is playing, or or if not quiet, if you're Jordan Pivak trending towards uh creating Twitter a, a cavity in Twitter as it closes in on itself, right? There's not a lot of positive things to say about anyone who's playing the nine for the US right now. I will say Pepe did a few good things. He had some good runs in behind. I mentioned he had that great drop in and ball in behind for Wea on the Pulisic Chance. He was good at those kinds of things. He's just not goal dangerous. And I think part of that is on the nines and another part of that is on the U.S. There were never likely going to be a ton of really clear-cut chances for the U.S. in this game. The fact that one of them fell to a nine, I think, is actually pretty good production, weirdly. I know there's no goal, so maybe production isn't quite the right word. But I don't think it was an, an all-around terrible night for the number nines, despite the really high-profile miss from PFOC and, and really not a ton in the box to show for from Ricardo Pepe.
2: Joe, I have a question that I think I know the answer to. Uh, you said he wasn't the most goal-dangerous. Who is the most goal-dangerous uh, option at number nine for the U.S.?
1: Ah, this is a fun game that we get to play where I don't know yep. the answer to the question. Um,
2: I I I guess it's Ferrera.
1: I I guess. What what did you think I was going to say?
2: I thought you were going to say Giacchizzardi again.
1: Maybe, man. But I mean, he didn't. He was fine for the U.S. against Canada, but he didn't like get on the end of a ton of dangerous action. Again, part of that I think is on the nines. Part of that is on the U.S. team for just not creating much of anything in that Canada game. They they were not very good with the ball the the one nine who i think has been gold dangerous at times is Jesus ferreira but i mean he starts to get at home against el salvador a team that's not all that good they're eliminated from from world cup qualification contention so i don't know i do hope though taylor i know i'm getting a little ahead of our, ourselves here But I hope we see Ferreira uh, against Panama. I know, at least from what you said on the Bleach Report show, that you're leaning towards PFOC, and and that's totally fine. I'm not bothered really either way. Okay, okay, maybe that's softening a little bit. But I I do hope we see Ferreira, because I think he can be goal dangerous. Man, we saw that against Portland over the weekend. He had that hat trick, and that's overperforming his XG by a, a country mile in that game. But he still had good shots from good spots good off the ball, helping the U.S. progress against a team in Portland, actually, that's not all that different from Panama and how they set up defensively. So there's some tie-ins there. Jesus Ferreira hasn't proved it with the national team, but I think if you give him a few more chances, he might get closer than the rest of the nines in this pool.
2: Yeah, let's put a pin in that, and then we'll revisit it when we get to Panama, because I think in the rewatch, Pepe does more than I remembered, most of it off the ball. But there's, as you mentioned, there's that little reverse instep pass for Wea that leads to the Pulisic chance. And there's a lot of hard work from Ricardo Pepe that won't get much attention, nor should it, because that's not what a number nine is necessarily there to do. But there's other moments, like uh, I think in the, yeah, it's the second half. There's a moment when Mexico tried to play long. I think it's Vasquez is going for the long direct ball. And you can't see it happen because the camera follows the long ball. But you can see Ricardo Pepe running at him full speed and the ball gets played long and then it comes back the other way and Vasquez is only just getting up off the ground. And I sort of enjoyed (laughs) that Ricardo Pepe was not backing down and was knocking people around and at the very least was letting Mexico know he was there and letting the Mexican players know he was there and he was going to go for it. And I think you need that level of energy and I guess aggression when it comes to playing at the Azteca. So I saw... Slightly more from Ricardo Pepe to make me feel slightly better, but still don't really have a good answer myself to that number nine. So instead, I'll move us in a completely different direction, because I want to talk about Walker Zimmerman for a moment, if you'll permit Joe Lowry. Oh, of course. There's always time for Walker Zimmerman, Taylor. So I said, I like that. I said in the postgame show, I I struggled to remember a thing he did wrong. Uh, And it was Miles Robinson who got the yellow card, correct? Correct, yep. So it was not Zimmerman, but I will say... The uh, moment we mentioned a while back, the the pass out from Stefan to Zimmerman that leads to a very good chance for Mexico if Tecatito had a better first touch, I think that definitely finishes in a goal. It seems like the the blame is being put on Stefan for that one. i, I got to throw a little bit at Walker Zimmerman there because he lets it roll across him and I think it's at a stranger angle than he expected it to be or has more uh, pace to the ball so that he then barely keeps it in bounds and then he has to try to force a ball down the line and then it gets blocked and that's how Mexico are able to recover and launch that counter. And I just wanted to note that to say like there was one little moment of uh, bad play by Walker Zimmerman. Uh, but even there, I think some of it goes to Zach Steffen, and it's quickly forgotten because he had other moments, like his one to one v one defense on Raúl Jiménez. When uh, Yunus Musa has that very bad turnover, uh, for people who've forgotten or didn't see, US uh, regained possession. It's like a long ball all the way back to Zach Steffen, uh, a long errant pass from Mexico. Zach Steffen plays it to Yunus Musa. Musa goes for, I think, just an easy one touch back pass to Walker Zimmerman, who's about twenty yards away from him. Instead, he splits the difference and hits it about 10 yards. So Moose is not getting to it. Zimmerman's not getting to it. But Mexico get to it, and it's a 3v2. And watching it again, as soon as that ball is is clearly not getting to Zimmerman, he is already shifting into his defensive responsibility. And you can see it, by the way, he's checking to see where he is in relation to the goal, and he slides over to cut the angle to force Jimenez uh, basically towards the near post. Uh, But then he does a really good job of sort of closing the gap, making sure that he's blocking off angles, but getting closer and closer so that he is eventually able to make a play, but he doesn't dive in, he doesn't stab in, he doesn't panic, that is the biggest thing, he just stays upright, watches the ball, picks his moment, and it's not a penalty, because it's not a penalty, Jimenez goes down and I would say dives, uh, feels a little bit of contact, realizes it wasn't enough to knock him over, and then he falls down pretty clearly on the replay. But also watching it again, Zimmerman gets the ball. Like it's He get, has his foot there, and then Jimenez dribbles into that foot. But it's still ball to foot. It's still the good play. And I think that he's able to switch so quickly into 1v1 one, one one defense against a world-class forward and still does what he needs to do to limit that opportunity. Credit to Zimmerman. Credit as well to Miles Robinson, who has as quick of a reaction time to that one. Hustles back. Cuts off that, that sort of lateral square pass that would otherwise be on. Does a really good job to basically nullify the threat. And that that tandem, again, I found so impressive in those big moments tonight.
1: I think it's encouraging and one of the most encouraging things through World Cup qualifying is that the U.S. has found a center back pairing, right? Like the center back pairing. Zimmerman and Robinson, I mean, they weren't flawless in this game, but there was a lot of good stuff from them. Taylor, you're detailing that for, for us right now. Until there's more mistakes from these teams, or until there's a weird matchup that makes sense to change it up, and, or or until rotation is necessary, I should add as well. These guys are the starters, and I think there's a lot of confidence right now that Berhalter has in them, that a lot of folks, ourselves included, I would I would imagine, have in these two center backs. Taylor, I appreciate you diving into them. I always love some sure. center back love. The, <laughs> another player I want to mention. Zach Steffen. I don't know how much he'll get discussed after a game like this. He keeps a clean sheet, has a really good save that that I don't believe is actually counted, but it's a save on yeah, uh, a Lozano right, right, right. a Lozano shot yeah. that may have been going on frame in the 78th minute. Yep. Steffen gets a touch to it. Lozano is like, oh, motioning, you know, tipping his fingers. Yeah, he got a touch. Steffen's playing it very cool, but that's a huge save that that could have been a goal. A nice extension there from Zach Steffen. Uh, I want to nitpick, I guess, a little bit here on his distribution. Like the yep. whole, yep. I, I hate to do this, Taylor. We don't no, need man. to dive into this. But the Matt Turner, Zach Steffen thing is when they're both healthy, one camp is Zach Steffen is an okay slash good shot stopper, which statistically is a little debatable. But the the real value in that camp and what they say is that he brings value with his feet, which at the, at times is true. And the, the issue that, that a lot of folks have with Matt Turner is that he doesn't really do that. And I agree with that. Matt Turner's not a, a Darison with his with his uh, distribution in the back. But Stefan, I thought was poor with his distribution in this game. He had at least two moments. The first comes in the 27th minute, that's that ball out to to Walker Zimmerman, and another one, and this one's actually with his feet is the 44th minute. It's a pull, It's a poor ball, ball out. Shoot, it's late. Poor ball out from the back <laughs> where he just gives it away to Tecatito. He he plays a little clip ball into midfield. Tecatito yeah, recovers it. Yeah. Mexico run right down the U.S.'s throat right before halftime. I mean, that's a poor time. Anytime's time's a bad time for that turnover, but it's a really bad time for a turnover. Goals right before halftime. Coaches say it all the time, have the potential to kill games. That was a risky move. And so I just want to say, Stefan, I think, is by and large better with his feet than Turner, but I don't think it's this crazy value-adding skill that he has. When you see in a game like this where the U.S. is trying to play a bit more direct, there's moments for Stefan to impact the game with his feet, but I'm not really sure he did that tonight.
2: Yeah, I think—honestly, Joe, I think that's a really fair point because if you are going to go down that line of thinking, he's so good with his distribution, he's so good with his feet— you want that to be a night and day yeah, difference. Yeah, like do it. It has yeah. to be like 100% pass completion or any, and Zach Stefan will have those moments where he will receive a ball from the right back and like first time ping a like sweeping ball out to the left channel for Anthony Robinson to run onto. to. Definitely capable of that, but you're right. There's that giveaway. I remember that vividly of like, what are you doing? Like, not only is it a bad pass because he gives it to Mexico, but it's a bad pass because he's kind of trying to switch it But he switches it to a place where there are three Mexican players and one U.S. player. And that could have gone very, very poorly, as you said. And if you need further evidence of that, you know, stats are stats. But uh, Memo Ochoa on the evening, 32 of 41 passing, 78% uh, pass completion rate. 9 of 18 with his long passes. Zach Steffen, 18 for 32. That's 56% completion rate. 7 of 21 long passes. That's 33%. So... Memo Ochoa definitely having the more accurate passing ability on the evening. I don't think that Stefan really excelled in that department. I, I wouldn't say he fully let himself down. There weren't any like true howlers or anything. But I think that conversation remains pretty back and forth for me. It could be Stefan Engel. It could be Turner. I I still don't see a massive difference in either category, really. I still feel like Stefan makes big saves when he needs to. So too does Turner. Turner is okay with his feet. Stefan seems to be pretty okay with his feet as well. So maybe it's a Casey Keller, Brad Friedel... They're both okay, it just depends sort of situation. Fundamentally, we have two very good goalkeepers, and I guess there are worse problems to have.
1: Yeah, and I, I just can't wait to find out which one of Turner or Stefan turns into Brad Friedel and is telling people to go beat up other people in a parking yeah, lot. Yeah, right. Like, I'm, I'm really excited for that plot line. That could be really, really fun over the next decade or so. I, I don't know who that is. Uh,
2: Turner... I feel like Turner's got a little bit of that I feel like you're actually and thinking about that. He spent time in Boston. I feel like maybe oh. there's a little bit of scrap to this. There's, there's, you know what, Joe? There is definitely a, like, you think you're better than me? There's definitely that <laughs> to Matt Turner that I think probably would, uh, would yeah, have him fight oh people in gosh. parking lots. I think that's oh probably pretty accurate. Joe, any other individual performances we should mention before we take a look at Panama?
1: Very quickly, I thought Musa was average in this yep. game. I don't think it was his best game. He got bodied off the ball more than you'd like to see from him. His His frame was a big part of of what makes him such a dangerous player. He was out-muscled at times. He had that poor turnover in the second half in the 70th minute. Just gives it right to Raul Jimenez, uh, who then gets in the box and, and causes some some problems there. But, I mean, overall, he was fine had, you mentioned it in the postgame show we did for Bleacher Report, kind of a half Musa maneuver, but wasn't as influential on the ball as you'd like him to be. Drew a couple of good fouls and had some nice moments trying to push the game a little bit, but wasn't at his best. I'm hopeful that we'll see a, a better version of Yunus Musa against Panama, which, Taylor, unless you've got anybody else, I think functions pretty well as a transition into what we might want to see in that game.
2: No, I, I do not. So let's do it, my friend. Uh, really quickly, though, Joe, before we talk about that, uh, you did the, the abbreviated previewing of Panama when we did sure. that show earlier in the week uh, for people who missed it or people like myself who no longer can remember what we <laughs> talked about like four days ago. Uh, what are some like key things we should be looking for from Panama? What are some key opportunities? All that good stuff.
1: So expect a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1, depending on the moment. Expect uh, some some good central midfielders, Coco Carasquilla and and Anibal Godoy, both started tonight, I guess yesterday now, against Honduras. But they're both really talented players. Mikel Murillo driving forward from right wing, uh, right wing back, just right back in a back four. He's a threat. He's quick on that right side. New York Red Bulls fans will be very familiar with him from his time in Major League Soccer. They have some talent up front. Not a ton of really hyper-dangerous forwards, but some speed out wide. And uh, Rolando uh, Rolando Blackburn got a goal tonight against Honduras. He put Panama on the board in the first half. And uh, they, they have some other options in that forward group as well. Expect uh, a mid-block that maybe presses at times. They certainly did press a bit uh, in in Panama in the home leg of this sort of weird home and away, I guess is how I'm framing it, Panama-U.S. tie. But they'll also sit deep, and I think the U.S. will have the responsibility to own the vast majority of the ball, probably 55 or or more percent in that game, and it's going to be their job to break Panama down. Panama needs a result, but I think they'll probably bank on on being able to transition and get that goal on some sort of counterattacking moment.
2: And I think another thing you spotlighted, Joe, was that Panama do have the strength on the set pieces, can score against the United States on a set piece, the U.S., I would say, hasn't necessarily excelled in their own set pieces, so that does feel like an opportunity for Panama and something that the United States needs to spend some time game planning for.
1: Without a doubt. yep, yeah, that, that's a big piece of this dead ball situation, especially if we see Gio Reyna. Maybe there's there's some value that he can provide there for the U.S., but defensively, yeah, the U.S. will need to be on their game defending those moments. The, the one thing I want to say before maybe we get into building some sort of lineup for this Panama game is... For as much as I've I've gone on and on about the U.S. And, and maybe trying to save some legs, or they didn't try to save legs for this Panama game in any real way, Panama isn't doing that either. So there is sort of this True. level playing field. Panama needs results in every single game they play in this window. They rolled out a first-choice lineup against Honduras. They played big minutes. Goodoy played the whole game. Karasquia played... Shoot, I, wow, it is so late that I cannot genuinely cannot read my phone right now. He played only, he, oh my God, my eyes are like fuzzy. He played 68 minutes, not 86. I really couldn't tell. That was really interesting for me. But they played a lot of key players for a lot of minutes, just like the U.S. did. So there is some commonality there between these two sides. Panama won't exactly be uh, be running on a ton
2: of energy either on Sunday. But if we're looking at them as a whole and giving our best Get best guess as to what we would expect. We'd say maybe there will be some pressing, but most likely is a 4-4-2 mid-block that occasionally is a deep block that tries to frustrate the United States, hits on the counter because they do have pace out wide, and will try to capitalize on set pieces. Is that a fair distillation of Panama, broadly speaking? Bingo, bango, Taylor. Bingo, bingo. All right. So then if I'm looking at the U.S., it seems to me that we are like, hear this with a grain of salt or hear this as it's intended, can sort of afford to gamble a little bit when it comes to the attack. And I feel like we can have more focus on players getting into the attack, players getting involved in the attack, provided we have cover for the counter through the middle. Maybe we just have everybody paying attention to the wings as well. But I guess what I'm getting at is this does feel like a game where if he wanted to, Burhalter could sit Tyler Adams, uh, start Kellen Acosta, look for that distribution, and maybe I'm I'm gambling here, or maybe I'm like taking too far of a leap, Joe, but if we are still concerned about that yellow card, and on just uh, in case that maybe it's a nil-nil draw or it doesn't go exactly as we need it to, I don't want to have to start Tyler Adams and have him play another 80 minutes or so against Costa Rica on the road unless we absolutely have to. I I, I think there is an argument for sitting him. I don't think that will happen. But I could see Greg Berhalter going with a a 4-3-3 as we've seen. The defensive midfielder is Kevin Acosta. He's pulling the strings. He's not doing that much defending. And then we've got a lot of numbers committed to the attack.
1: I just don't think Acosta is good enough at pulling the strings to justify playing him over Adams in a game like this. I hear the the yellow card discussion, Taylor, but if Beralta cared at all about that, he would have already made that choice, I think, in this first game. So I really do think I'd be be shocked, honestly, if we didn't see Adams. I hear what you're saying, and I, I see some logic in it, but Adams, I think, is just good enough to warrant... Starting in this game over Kellen Acosta, I don't think it's really that much of a contest between those two players at the moment. But Taylor, to your point about gambling a little bit with some of the the players, I do agree with that. And the way that I I think about that is maybe us seeing Giorena as an eight instead of in that winger position, and and I won't be upset either way. I think we'll see a lot of Giorena one way or the other. But I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him. And Musa play as the two eights, or if we saw him and De La Torre play as the two eights in front of Tyler Adams, getting some some more attacking quality on the field in central midfield in particular could be big for the U.S. in a game like this. Now, I don't think that's the most likely outcome for Reyna. I'm guessing for me to to quickly kind of sketch out a lineup, I would guess Polisic on one wing, Gio Reyna on the other wing. Who on earth knows at the nine? My preference would be Ferrera, but but Beralders talked about Pifok. Maybe that's what it is. Who knows? But it's Polisic and, and Reyna on the wings. I would go with Musa de la Torre and Adams, hoping that Musa and la, uh, hoping that Musa and Adams excuse me can give you enough in this game after going a combined what one hundred and seventy five ish minutes tonight one hundred and eighty ish minutes. Adams comes off with 10 minutes left, but there's also stoppage time, so that you guys can do the math on that. And then I'd rock with a very similar back line with, with A-Rob on the left, Miles Robinson and Zimmerman in the middle of the back line, Shaq Moore at right back. He's coming over uh, from from Spain. I would start him on the right, even though he hasn't been with this team. He's the only true right back in camp, or at least he will be. And then you start Stefan in goal. That's that's what I would do. I think you rely on Paul Ariola potentially off the bench if you really need it. Maybe you start him and bring Pulisic off the bench, but for me... You get Reyna in the lineup, you get De La Torre in the lineup, and you play a lot of the same players that played tonight because those are your best players and you hope they can
2: go out there and do the job. Two questions for you, Joe. I don't agree with, uh, or I don't disagree, rather, with most of what you just said there. Uh, But for Jesus Ferreira, why, forgive me, you said this, I think, in this episode, you said this in the uh, BR show, but why would you like Jesus Ferreira against this Panama team?
1: Uh, I think. If you play Ferreira against this team, you have a decent chance of seeing some of the same types of shots and attacking sequences that the U.S. put out against El Salvador. Panama's a better team defensively than El Salvador, and the numbers show that, and and you can see that when you watch them. But I think when you have Ferreira, he's going to drop in. He's going to try and manipulate defenders. And Panama will have to be aggressive. Remember, they need a result here. They need points. So they're going to step forward at times. And you have Ferreira. He can deal with somebody on his back and, and quickly lay the ball off. Or he can just drop in and play make. And he doesn't always have to drag center backs around. He can just be that presence between the lines. The The goal he scores... The first one for Dallas over this past weekend, he drops in and has this lovely little flick to Paxton Pomichael. I don't believe any central defender goes with him in that moment. He just play makes and then makes a late arriving run of the box and scores a goal. I think there's a good chance that you see some nice attacking sequences that get Ferreira in the right spots to take shots on goal that could end up finding the back of the net. I know there's a lot of coulds and mites in there, but man, if if that isn't at least something in this US 9 Uh, drought right now. I don't know what is. I would go personally with Ferreira, but I won't be upset if it's PFOC. He's an aerial target that Ferreira just isn't. That probably indicates that the U.S. is going to play a little differently depending on who we see. We'll get a better idea of exactly how the U.S. is going to play once that lineup drops on
2: Sunday evening. Is there anything you don't want to see? Because I just had a flash of, like, if it is Paul Ariola on one wing, my assumption is that's, like, get him behind and cross for PFOC. And I don't think that is going to have that big of an impact against Panama
1: yeah I mean I'm I wouldn't be thrilled with seeing Paul but I also would understand him getting minutes after what happened tonight in terms of who's played and how long they played but I don't know Taylor to answer your question I don't think there's anything really major outside of a huge galaxy brain kind of moment that would really make me feel all that bad about a lineup unless it's maybe Ariola and Morris and, and Roldan and I know those happen to be three MLS guys yeah. and I'm not trying to hate on those players but I just don't think they're the best players you have if if the US's guys that went tonight can in large part go again I think you play them that seems to me what Baralters setting himself up to do I think you play them I, I, the only way I'd really be disappointed is if it's a super weird lineup that just doesn't feel capable of breaking down a Panama team but Taylor to be honest with you. I think almost anything the U.S. throws out there should be able to get that job done against Panama. I know that could be famous yeah. last words.
2: No, I I, I I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, I The other, like the final question I had for you, uh, I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to shape this one. So instead, I'm just going to make it into an idea. Uh, I think your midfield is what I would like to see. I'd like to see Eunice Musa get another start and be a regular starter. I'd like to see Tyler Adams back in there. And I would like to see Luca De La Torre. I feel like he brings. Uh, Creativity, I think he brings technical ability. And there is an edge to him as well that I think will be needed, that he will try to back people down. He will go at people. I want that in a game that we need to take the game, be dominant in the game, and get that result. I also like the idea of Kellen Acosta on the bench because I like him being a possibility... Uh, as a central midfielder i also like the possibility of him being a fullback and that's something that burr yeah. has talked about i did wonder if maybe we see kellen acosta start this game at right back that feels like too big of a roll of the dice but if the united states is still deadlocked after 50 55 minutes maybe bringing in kellen acosta to be more of an attacking fullback who can yeah. possess on the ball and help create isn't the worst idea either
1: Totally possible. It, it really wouldn't shock me if Acosta started, especially because, as I said earlier, Moore hasn't been with this team in, in a little while now. So it wouldn't surprise me. As I, I totally drop everything around me. It wouldn't surprise me if, man, things are falling apart here, if if Acosta starts or, or gets minutes it right back in some sort of desperation situation, if that's what the U.S. ends up needing to do. Taylor, I think that's certainly something for us to keep our eyes on headed into Sunday.
2: All right, my friend. Well, before you like drop your computer or or any like I like you still have all your body parts, right, Joe? Nothing broken, nothing bleeding. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. Good. We made it through unscathed for the most part. Uh, Joe, we will be back uh, Sunday. You and Graham are going to be there with your smiling faces. I'm going to be calling in for the uh, BR Live pre- and post-game shows. Uh, We will also have our full review out that evening. I will likely be recording from the stadium, but it's going to be a good one. Hopefully, it will be three points and we'll have... Just happy things to say. Uh, but we shall see how it plays out. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you for staying up late, for enduring the physical challenges of getting through recording late at night. You have been wonderful, as always, <laughs> my friend. Yes, I managed to not somehow hurt myself <laughs> permanently in this Attaboy. recording. One
1: last time. Win or draw against Panama guarantees a playoff. A win virtually guarantees top three. There's some goal different shenanigans in there, but you get the idea. Three points pretty much does the job for the U.S. on Sunday.
2: There we go. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I've been Taylor Rockwell. This has been the Total Soccer Show. We'll talk to you all again very soon. And one final note, there will be an episode of Allocation Disorder out uh, probably, um, this is now Friday morning. Uh, It will be out sometime Friday. Uh, Paul and Sam on location in Mexico City. I think they are also probably having a very late night, but there will be an episode of Allocation Disorder uh, to round out the week. Then we'll be back Sunday with our review. That's it for me. Thanks for listening. Chat soon.